Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Today, we conclude our series, I Love the 80s. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with this week's message. How many of you will admit dad can be difficult to buy for? Man, now some of you may be wondering, what in the way? It is 2012. What are you showing a clip from the Cosby shows like back in the mid-80s? Exactly. Uh, we're in the last week of a series called I Love the 80s, Family TV Edition. We've been talking for the last six weeks now about family relationships. Started on Mother's Day. We're going to wrap it all up today on Father's Day. And I'm convinced that dad is difficult to buy for because we don't really understand dad. I can say this, having, having been a child and now being a dad, a lot, most people, if they're not a dad, they don't understand dad. And so what I wanted to do, the way I wanted to start off this morning is I wanted to give us kind of some working understanding of what it means to be dad, and I wanted to do kind of a, a, a men's thesaurus. Because once a man becomes a dad, kind of his language changes, and you've got to have it decoded for you. So today, I'm going to decode five things that you might hear dad say. Okay, the first one is this. You might hear dad say, it's a guy thing. Have you ever heard dad, you know, you're asking, what do you do? Well, you, it's a guy thing. Okay, here's what that means. If you hear dad say it's a guy thing, it actually means there's no rational thought pattern connected with it. And you have no chance at all of making it logical. <laughs> so the next time dad says it's a guy thing, that's what he means. Let's go to the next one. If you, have you ever heard dad say it would take too long to explain? Like, you know, you're asking them a question. Well, how does this work? Well, it would take too long for me to explain that to you. Here's what dad really means. I have no idea how it works. No clue. I'm making it up as I go along. Here's another one. Here's another one. The third one. I can't find it. Wives, raise your hand if your husband has ever said, I can't find it. I've, I have never seen what you're looking for. I can't find it. Here's what he means. Here's what he means. It didn't fall into my outstretched hands, so I'm completely clueless. I am guilty as charged on that one. Here's another one. Oh, don't worry. I just cut myself. It's no big deal. It's not a big deal. I just, it's just a paper cut. Here's what dad actually means. I have actually severed a limb, but will bleed to death before I admit that I'm hurt. And I had to save the last one. This is the best one. Somebody's actually had to... Somebody got ran over by a tractor. Don't worry. I'm fine. Here's, here's the last one. And this is the best one, I think. I'm not lost. I know exactly where we are. Here's what dad actually means. No one will ever see us alive again. Let me tell you the four scariest words that have ever come out of a man's mouth. Let's take a shortcut. You will never be seen or heard from again. Well, today's Father's Day, and we're really excited to have you here today. And before we jump into our scripture this morning, I, I got to share three assumptions that I'm working with, that, that when I come up here that, that are on the table for me when I'm talking about fathers on Father's Day, there's three assumptions. I shared them earlier this week 
uh, via Facebook. If you don't have Facebook or you didn't see it, here are my three assumptions. The first one is this. We in America, we don't have many fathers. I believe the observation that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 when he tells the Corinthian church, even though you have 10,000 guardians or spiritual influences, even though you have 10,000 people pouring into your life, his observation is you don't have many fathers. And I believe Paul's assumption, Paul's observation there could be said about our culture and about our time because we have all these influences pouring into our life, but the reality is we don't have many fathers. We don't have many godly men rising up to the challenge not to be a friend, not to be a pal, but to be a father. And the reason I say that, that there's a crisis, I believe, in America is, is because statistically it proves out that, that men are, are bailing and, and not stepping up to the, to the challenge. They're, they're partaking physically what their spirits and emotions can't handle. And so they are, uh, they're bailing out on it. The second assumption I have is this. We have a crisis about fathers. We're raising fatherless generations. But the second, second assumption is this. God wants to raise up fathers for a fatherless generation. I believe in Malachi chapter 4, the very last verse of the Old Testament, the prophet says that in those days God will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers. I believe God wants to do that now, today. I believe he still is seeking for men that he will raise up to be fathers, even to children that are not their own. I believe God wants to raise up biological fathers. I believe God wants to raise up stepdads. I believe God wants to raise up surrogate men who will father children, not only that like that are not theirs, they have no relationship to these kids at all. I believe God wants to raise up men to be spiritual fathers to children who are just kind of lost and wondering what to do and where to go. So if you're a man in this place, today applies to you. It doesn't matter if you have a kid or not. Because I believe God wants to take your life and raise you up to become a father for a fatherless generation. And here's the third assumption that I have. I believe God wants to use you. I believe that we're in a crisis, that we have a fatherless generation, that we do not have many fathers. I believe God wants to raise up fathers, and I believe God wants to use you to do it. And so those are the three things that are kind of the foundation of what I'm going to say this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Mark chapter 10. We're going to look at this passage of Scripture where Jesus interacts with some little kids. Jesus, I believe he lays out three things that if you're going to be a father, if you're going to be a dad, you've got to be ready and willing to give away. Freely and without limit. You've got to be ready to give away three things. And I believe Jesus shows us these in Mark chapter 10. And so let's read it, we'll pray, and then we'll jump right into it. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, like a little child, will never enter it. 
And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. Let's pray together this morning. God, we thank you, Lord, for your son Jesus who shows us the light, who reveals to us the truth and the reality of where we are and how we can go forward. I pray, God, that as we look at your scripture this morning, Lord, that you would reveal to our hearts and minds uh, the way that we as men can step up and be fathers, either to our own kids, our stepkids, or to children we may never have laid eyes on up to this point in our lives, because you're going to raise us and call us and draw us to be spiritual fathers to boys and girls who, unfortunately, their dads aren't around. God, I pray that the words that we speak this morning would be honorable to you. I pray, God, that my mouth would only say the things that you would have me say, that we may hear from you, and in hearing from you, we may be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a smartphone with you or a tablet, you can follow along. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, uh, we load up all of our notes and, and sermon materials there. You can follow right along. Just do a search in the live link under for vertical. Uh, and it'll pull up right there, three things dad must give away. So here we go. I believe they're right here, and I believe in this passage it just hits one, two, three. Right in the first verse, Mark says this about this instance with Jesus. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. I believe the first thing that if you're going to be a, a father, if you're going to be the kind of dad that, that God wants you to be, I believe the first thing you must be ready and willing to give away is loving, appropriate touch. Appropriate, loving touch. You know how powerful the human touch is. The physical touches. This word that, Paul, that, that, that Mark uses to refer to Jesus touching these little children is the Greek word haptomai. It's, it means touch. It means embrace. It means to attach oneself to. It's this idea that when you physically touch someone, that you're connected beyond this physical reality. It's the idea of touch. In fact, the, the power of touch is so significant. Back in the 13th century, there was this king named King Frederick II. And he had kind of an inquisitive mind. He, he wondered things. You know, he was kind of before the scientific revolution. And so he didn't really have a lot guiding his, his thoughts and his curiosity. He didn't have a lot of you know, ethical guidelines. But he was wondering what would happen... If you raised up children and you never spoke to them, you never touched them, you never held them, you never caressed them, all you did was made sure they had food and you wiped their bottoms. Clean diapers, granted they didn't have huggies and pampers back then, whatever, but make sure their cloth diapers are changed and make sure they have food. What, what language would they speak? He wanted to try to get back to a, a precognitive language that maybe was, was true for all human beings everywhere. So he did an experiment. He, uh, because when you're king, you can do this. He confiscates 50 babies, takes them away from their families, brings in nurses who are going to, to make sure that they get fed. 
and make sure that they get changed. But he specifically instructed, don't speak to them, don't hold them, don't cuddle them when they're crying, leave them laying, do not touch them, do not show them any kind of physical affection or emotion whatsoever. Feed them, change their diapers, that's it. Don't hold them, don't rock them, don't nothing. And so he's trying to find out what language would they speak. Well, an interesting thing happened. He didn't get to find out. Because all, all 50 babies, before a year was over, they all died. Every single one of them. And psychologists and sociologists look back on that today and say, you know, the reason that they died was not because they lacked physical nourishment. It's not because they lacked food or they were in some diseased, you know, uh, crib. It's because there's something about touch and holding for the emotional nourishment of a child. All 50 babies die within the first year. So his, you know, his, his experiment was a terrible failure. So let me ask this question. How many of you, and I want you to respond. I want you to kind of talk back to me or raise your hand or something. How many of you are natural huggers? Putting my hand down because I'm not. You know, say, I'm a natural, put your hands up, I'm a natural hugger, I like to hug people, you know, if I see you in the grocery store, I'm going to come and, you know, tackle you into the, the, you know, vegetables, okay. How many of you would say, you know what, I'm actually more reserved, I, a handshake and a look in the eye, that's a holy moment for me, if, is that you? I'm more reserved, if you hug me, it better be three pats and break. You better not squeeze either. Three, one, two, three. We're off, right? <laughs> Say, raise your hand again. I'm more. I'm. I'm a more reserved person. This is me. I'm more reserved. Okay. Three pats. Now there are some of you. We've had conversations. I let you hug and squeeze, and I just I do my three pats and I break. But you take as long as you want, as you want, as you need. Just let the Lord bless you. You know, hug away. <laughs> anyway, here's the funny thing about dad. You know, it's Father's Day, so you've got to kind of joke on the men. Um, probably statistically, I don't know this to be true. So, I, you know, 75% of statistics are made up on the spot anyway. And so, so I would assume that probably more men are reserved statistically. But here's the thing about guys. In all areas of life, this is true, except when it comes to sports. Because when it comes to sporting events, man, all rules are gone. You can like smack, hit, hug, pat, whatever you want. Except there is one rule that you must never break. Flat hand, not cupped. You cup your hand, you'll get a fist to the jaw. You ever watched it? They're smacking each other. Bam. They all have flat hands. You cup. Mm-mm. It's not. It's not cool. I did a word study uh, of of the word touched, and and to be honest with you, it wasn't an intense study. I basically went on one of the online Bibles, typed in touch, and did a search to see where it came up in the Gospels, because I was curious. Where else is this word touch being used? And in the Gospels, Mark, or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the word touch in the English form appears 27 times. 26 of them use touch in reference to Jesus and healing. 
I'm talking about the power of appropriate, loving touch. 27 times it appears in the Gospels. 26 of them refers to Jesus touching somebody and bringing about healing. The one time that it appears in the gospel that it doesn't specifically refer to healing is when Jesus is resurrected from the, from the grave and he says, touch me. You could even kind of, you know, hey, Jesus is alive. He was dead. That's kind of healing. Uh, you know, it's supposed to be funny. Sorry. Um, 26 out of 27 times. I'm talking about the power of touch. There's power when human beings touch each other in loving and appropriate ways. Here are some examples. Luke chapter 5 verse 13. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Mark chapter 3 verse 10. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Mark chapter 6 verse 56. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countrysides, they placed the sick in marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. Here, listen to this, Luke chapter 6 verse 19. And the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. There's power in touch. Dad, there's power in your touch. People were trying to touch Jesus because power was coming from him and healing everyone who touched them. There's serious power in touch. There's some statistics about touch. Did you know that for pre-adolescent girls and boys, when they hit those tween years, right, when they start going through puberty, okay, and their bodies start changing, their voices start changing, you know, it's, it's that time in life when the school pictures look really bad, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you get them back, and you're like, oh, gosh, that's my kid. <laughs> well, we're going to hang this here, back away. Did you know that the need for appropriate touch dramatically increases during that time in their life? And it's especially in that time of their life when dad, you and I start freaking out because their bodies are changing. And what do we do? We pull away. You know, your little girl whose body's changing and she's going through puberty and she's becoming a woman. And you start getting weirded out because that's happening. So you pull away the physical affection. This is the time in her life when it goes up, when the need for that goes up. So here's what happens. Because she doesn't get it from you, she goes looking for it wherever she can find it. How, what's, the, what's one of the best ways you can prevent sexual sin in your young daughters? Show them what it looks like for a godly man to give them appropriate, loving touch. And when they experience inappropriate, unloving touch from an ungodly person, they know what it is. Look, wait, 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 wait. That's not how my dad, like, that's not how my dad holds my hand. That's not how my dad, my dad doesn't do that. So I'm not going to let you do that. That's the best thing that you can do, dad, for your, for your little girl or for your, your granddaughter. And, and the fact is, most dads freak out at this time in their kid's life and they pull away. But the reality of it is, it's not just for girls. The needs are the same for boys and girls. But for boys, you know, a lot of times it's them, it's, it's the kid, it's like, 
back up off me, Dad. So you got to get creative. You got to get creative. You got to, you know, you got to have secret little handshakes. You make them up, you know. You got to look at them and say, I'm about to DDT you right now. And bam, do it. You know, just don't break their neck. I'm going to put you in the figure four leg lock and I'm not going to let you out till you tap. But what, you know, what are you doing? You're giving them appropriate loving touch, but you're getting creative about it. Because when they get a certain age, they start, you know, they're trying to be independent. They might not cuddle up with you on the couch. So you wrestle them down. You know, you do a, you do a flying headbutt from the side of the couch and you go at it. But it's important. And listen, listen, this is important in all of our relationships. Listen, listen, gentlemen, your wives need appropriate loving touch. Not in a sexual way with hidden agendas and your own idea of where it's going to lead to. They need appropriate loving touch that communicates, I love you, I'm here. This is a general thing about relationships. You need to be able to touch, to hug, a pat on the shoulder. A squeeze of the hand, it communicates so much. So the first thing, Dad, you got to be willing to give away is appropriate loving touch. This is what Jesus does. He says, look, come, come, come here, look, come here, kids. Let me, let me lay my hands on you. Let me pile up on me. I'm going I'm to pray for you. I'm going to bless you. Number two, I believe Jesus shows us a second thing in the next verse in this passage, the second thing that dad's got to be willing and ready to give away, Mark chapter 10, verse 14, when Jesus saw this, that his disciples were trying to keep the kids away, he was indignant, which is a very nice word to say that Jesus was ticked off. If you're from, if you're from like the deep south, he was cussing mad. <laughs> Some of you know what that's like, like I'm saved, I love Jesus, I try to watch my language, but there are times where I'm so angry, it just comes out. That's how, this is how indignant Jesus, he is mad and ticked off. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Here's what Jesus is saying. Listen, listen guys, I need to spend time with these kids. And there's an argument that goes around in our culture that says, well, is it quality time or quantity time? You know what? If you can just carve out a few minutes of quality time for your kids, then then it's good. No, no, no. I believe the way forward is quality and quantity time. I believe the argument is actually a false argument and an illogical argument because here's what I actually believe. You never reach quality time without spending quantity time. You don't get quality time. You don't get to plan that stuff. You don't get to book that stuff. You got to spend a lot of time to find quality time. Because here's the goal. I mean, let's face it. I understand the goal. The goal is to create these unforgettable, treasured moments with your kid. These, These moments that you just, that you're just like, yeah. That's what it means to be a dad. That's, oh, I'm never going to forget that. They're never going to forget that. This is awesome. But here's the reality. You can't plan those moments any more than you can plan snow on Christmas. You can't plan those moments any more than you can plan a miracle taking place. They're fleeting. 
They just happen. You don't get a plan, a walk through the neighborhood or a walk through the park and you see the shooting star and you share that together and your hearts are bonded. You don't get a plan when that happens. You don't get a, get a plan, a, you know, the, the moment your child shares their heart with you while you're, you know, you're, you're fishing or you're digging up worms. I don't know what you do with your kids. You don't get to plan that. Eating at the kitchen table and everybody just erupts in laughter because something funny happened. You don't get to plan that moment. You got to plan the quantity of time for that moment to just happen. It takes sizable chunks of time to foster those kinds of moments. But the excuse is this, and I've used this excuse. I'm preaching to myself. I don't have time. Listen, listen, I don't, I really wish I could make time, but I don't have time. There's only so many hours in a day, and I just don't have time. But here's what I'm discovering for my own self and what God is, is speaking to me. I have time for what I choose to have time for. I have time for what I determine is important. And it's true for you. You got time for what you choose to have time for. And so if you want to be a a father that reverses the trend, you got to make time that's quality and quantity. You know, Billy Graham, and, and anytime you mention Billy Graham, everybody's like, yeah, because I mean it's Billy Graham and Mother Teresa. They're like on the same wavelength. You know, you don't get closer to Jesus than Billy Graham. Uh, Billy Graham's doing an interview. And the, the interviewer asked Billy Graham, she says, um, you know, if you, could, if you could go back and do it all again, is there anything you would change? Is there anything you would change? And it's very interesting because Billy Graham, I mean, he's this icon, this, this legend, this man of God who has seen countless people give their life to Jesus. I mean, this is the crusader guy who's filled arenas and, and seen whole, like, Cities come to know Jesus. He doesn't say, you know what? I wish I would have done 10 more crusades. If I could have just done 10 more. And he doesn't say, he doesn't say, I wish I would have developed another pastoral training program to equip more pastors. And he doesn't say, you know, if I could, if I could go back and change something, I would have written one more book to be one more bestseller. No, 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 Billy Graham, this icon, this hero, this, this man of, of God who's seen countless people come to know Jesus, said this, if I could do it all over again, I would have spent more time with my kids. Billy Graham. I mean, you don't argue with Billy Graham. I would have spent more time with my kids. So the first thing you got to be willing to give away, appropriate, loving touch. you got to hug you know, wrestle, DDT, whatever you got to do. You got to be willing to give away time. You got to be willing to give away touch, be willing to give away time. And the third thing is this. Here's what Jesus said. This is what happens at the very end of this passage. Mark chapter 10, verse 15 through 16. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. I believe the last thing that dads, you got to be willing to give away is encouraging, blessing, words of life, words of encouragement, encouraging words. You might even say encouraging talk. 
We talked a little bit about this last week. If you weren't here last week, let me encourage you. Go online, watch last week. We did a whole segment on how I talk matters as a parent, as a leader in my family, how I talk matters. We're going to kind of say it again. Listen, how you talk matters. I often wonder in this passage, I wonder what Jesus said. You know, he blesses them. What did he say? Scripture doesn't tell us. We don't know the words that Jesus said to these kids, but we do know whatever he said, it was a blessing. It was a blessing. And one of the most important things that we can do, dads, is to speak words of blessing to our kids. To speak words of life rather than words of cursing and words of death. The words that you speak, are they creating an environment of life or are they creating an environment of death? shared with you last week. One of the things I'm trying to do as a dad is to change the way I talk with my kids. I'm trying not to yell at them. I'm trying to speak more positive to them and more, more encouraging to them. And here's one of the ways that I, that, that I do that. Oftentimes as parents, we get caught in this trap of trying to catch our kids doing the wrong thing. You ever done that? You just catch yourself. You're always on the lookout for what are they doing wrong. Because your idea is, I've got to correct what they're doing wrong and make them do it right. I've got to correct bad behavior. I've got to correct bad attitudes. And so our eyes and our mind are always on the lookout to catch what they're doing wrong. And here's what God is, is challenging me to change in my communication with my kids. I'm trying to catch them doing something right and then brag on them. Let me catch them with a good attitude and then tell them, wow, that's awesome. you got such a great attitude. I know right now you're frustrated, but your attitude is awesome. I'm trying to speak words of blessing and encouragement and life over my kids. So I'm trying to catch them doing things right. I find this interesting. In all recorded scripture, in all four gospels, each, each gospel, there's only one time that we see God speaking to Jesus. In all of Scripture, there's one instant in Jesus' life where God, his Father, speaks directly to him, and we get to hear it. Now, maybe God spoke to him a lot of other times, but there's only one time, that's one instance that's recorded in Scripture. And I find it interesting, and we'll read the one from Mark because we're in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 1, verse 11. Listen to what God says the one and only time we get to hear God speak to Jesus. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. The one event where it's recorded that God the Father spoke directly to his son Jesus, and here's what he says, I'm so proud of you. You're my boy. Matter of fact, I'm going to split heaven wide open so I can show up and brag on you for just a second. Because I want everyone everywhere to know that this is my son. One time, God the Father speaks to his son Jesus that we get to hear, and it's words of blessing. It's words of encouragement. That's my boy, and I love him, and I'm proud of him. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much, Lord, that we have been allowed to be here. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. 
Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.